You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Good evening. We turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 12. Thank you, Adam, praise team, band. We just thank you for for serving us so faithfully every week, reminding us through song of what our Lord has done for us. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 9 here in our text. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for what you've done in your, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, our, our sins are forgiven. Our future is heaven. And yet we don't have to wait to have a foretaste of heaven because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that as we consider this passage tonight, uh, we would just come to a deeper appreciation for what you have done to save sinners like us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the uh, January 14th edition of World Magazine, there was a feature article uh, called Departures, which is an interesting name, but it was an article that noted all the uh, notable people who died in 2002. Now, how do you define a notable person? because you're notable to me, but it was people who were known outside of their state, uh, known countrywide or even internationally. And what was remarkable about this article, there were 12 pages of names and pictures, numerous people who are well known by the world who died in 2022. And that's not unusual. World carries that article every year. Names like Queen Elizabeth II, and for those of you who like country music, Mickey Gilley, Bill Russell, Olivia Newton-John, Vin Scully, Mikhail Gorbachev, Jerry Lee Lewis, Vince Dooley, Franco Harris, Loretta Lynn, and the the names just continued. It reminded me of... um, I think 2001, maybe in 2000, the day of the Daytona 500 race, much like today, I remember being at what was known as Giles Gym. I was on a treadmaster and saw Dale Earnhardt Jr. wreck, or it was Dale, it was Dale Earnhardt Sr., and he wrecked, and, and, and then we, we came to, to realize, even at church that night, sitting in here, the night of the Daytona 500, that he had died, this great car racer. Well, Dale Hernhart, along with all of these names here, very accomplished people, think about this, for all for eternity, for, for the rest of eternity, and we can't even get our minds around eternity, none of their accomplishments, that is, apart from Christ, None of their earthly accomplishments will ever matter again to them. 
You know, there's a, there's a famous Latin expression, and I want to share it with you because you may come across this in your readings, and I think we've got it up on the board, um, that describes the vanity of success in the present world as the end goal. Now, there's nothing wrong with success unless success is your end goal in life. And the phrase is sick transit gloria mundi. Thus passes the glory of the world. Well, there's another phrase that um, we need to embrace that is related to this phrase. Sick durit gloria day. Thus endures the glory of God. It's the only thing that endures. And we begin to understand this in a primitive way the moment we are converted to Christ. Uh, we, we begin to understand this in some kind of seed form way the moment we believe. And we, and we see this in Abram's life as well. Though Abram was introduced to us in chapter 11, verse 26, it's really not until now we begin to see him acting out his faith. And that brings us to verse 4 of, of Genesis chapter 12, uh, the trek of faith, the trek of Abraham's faith in particular. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, Lot was his nephew, and clearly uh, we, we learn from chapter 11 that Lot's father had died, and so Abram has taken care of, of uh, Lot at this point. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, what's interesting uh, is that there are 75-year-olds in here tonight and older, and, and he's not going to make his mark until after 75. And, and so just because you're older in life does not mean God doesn't have significant plans for you in your later life. And so this is Abram's faith. God has spoken, and Abram responds by believing. And how do we know he's believing? Well, faith always goes public. Faith always has hands and feet. And so it's appropriate, we read this earlier, uh, that Hebrews, and in particular Hebrews 11, which is the, uh, the great faith chapter, takes this beginning point of Abram's faith as our example of faith. And so in Hebrews, we read this, Abram is commended for his faith four times. And, and each of those four times begins a new section, or better said, a new phase of Abram's life. And so what you see really in Hebrews 11, and we read it, is that each phase of Abraham's life that, is, that begins with this language of by faith, you see Abram going to a new level of faith, okay? So there's four phases in Hebrews chapter 11. And the first phase is in verse 8 of chapter 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We saw that really last time. 
we're seeing it here. But more in particular, what we see in our verses tonight is the second phase. And, and it's more difficult. This is, a, is more difficult. It's, it's kind of like second grade is going to be more difficult than first grade. Varsity is going to be more difficult than JV. And, and so God is taking him to a new place, exercising his faith, and it's going to be a more difficult season for him. Season one, relatively to the, relative to the rest of the phases of his life, were like training wheels. But in the second phase, Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, 9 and 10, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That will come later. So this phase will take us through several chapters. Heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So at this stage... The second stage of faith, Abram is living in the land, but he doesn't possess it yet. Uh, he was a foreigner, and, and, and this is a period, we'll see this even next week in a very uh, important passage, very interesting passage. He's a foreigner, and this was a period filled with a lot of dangers and temptations and disappointments. But God is in putting more weight on the bar, if you will. The third phase starts in chapter 11, verse 11 of Hebrews. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. So what Hebrews is doing, he's given, it's given us basically a panorama of Genesis and the, and the narrative of Abraham. So I'm giving you an outline here. Um, she received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand. So these verses refer to a promise that was first made to Abram when he was 75 years old at 85, we're going to learn in Genesis 16, he expressed doubt to God, and, and God repeated the promise. And actually, it's in chapter 15, verse 5. Then at 86, um, he had Ishmael. That's chapter 16, verse 6. But Ishmael is not the son of promise. He's the son of unbelief and a lack of Failure or a failure to, to wait on the Lord. Uh, years will still roll by, and, and he and, and Sarah, Sarah will be childless, but at age 99, God came to him again with the promise of this son uh, through Sarah. What did Abram do? Well, Paul says in Romans 4, verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. I love that. In hope, he believed against hope. The following year, Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Now, Hebrews describes the fourth stage of Abram's growth as a disciple, uh, starting in verse 17 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, 
Now, we're going to talk about that when we get to Genesis 22, uh, because if you're like me, that rubs you the wrong way, that God would command a man to, to, to put his son up on an on a, uh, altar. But I think what we're going to see there is going to bring comfort to you. Um, but he offered him up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In other words, Isaac's the hope of the world at that point. Isaac is the seed of promise. Um, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Why did Abraham believe that God would raise Isaac from the dead when there had never been a resurrection before? Because the hope of the world was bound up in the promise given to Isaac. And a son who's dead does no one any good. And, and Abraham believed the promise from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So that's what God does. When we're initially saved, our faith is so weak. In fact, there are some godly people in this, in this, in this uh, congregation tonight. I could just start naming men and women of God who I know have the deepest of faith. But in comparison to who God is, we're going to recognize when we stand before him how all of our faiths were, were relatively weak. All right? But the moment you believe, your faith is really weak. You have just enough faith to unite you to Christ. And, and our salvation is not rooted in the strength of our faith. It's rooted in the object of our faith. And so your faith is weak initially. Um, but what God will do be, is that he will begin to put you in an exercise program. Because he wants your faith strong. Uh, Spurgeon said that our weak faith gets us into heaven and our strong faith gets heaven into us. And, and that's what God wants. He wants heaven into us. He wants us to enjoy God. He wants us to delight in him. He, he wants us to find our, our pleasure in the living God. But in order to, to find our pleasure in him, our faith has to be exercised. God, we have to be tested and we have to come to realize that God's grace is abounding grace. It's sufficient grace. So he puts us in this exercise program. With that said, going back to Hebrews 11, uh, it's verses 19, 9 and 10 that, that, that portray where Abram is at the present moment. Um, that stage begins here in verse 12 or, or verse 5 of chapter 12. In verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. Um, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, though the text doesn't give us the exact Route scholars say that the journey was 800 miles. Now, to put that in perspective, I did a little research this week. If you drive 800 miles north, you'll get to Cleveland, Ohio. All right, which Louisville is about seven and a half hours from here, and Cleveland is six hours north of, Cle uh, of Louisville, or a little over six hours. So it's, it, it, if you get in a car on interstate, 
It'll take you 13 to 14 hours to get to Cleveland. And, and that's, that's the journey that Abram has taken. But he didn't have a car and there was no interstate. So he has taken a long journey. And on top of that, he had to leave his homeland and all the emotions of that. He had to leave his friends, many of his uh, family. And he's leaving the center of the power of the world at the time, Ur of the of, um, Chaldeans. And, and, but notice in verse 5, this is remarkable. No, longer, no uh, sooner had he begun to obey, it says, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, or Haran, everybody pronounces that different. Now, who are these people? Well, it's not slaves, as some would make the argument, because the word for people is not the word used in Hebrew for slaves. This likely refers to proselytes. God has promised Abram, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And he's already seen converts as he obeys God, as he, as he obeys the light, the revelation that God has given him. Abram is already functioning as a blessing to the nations. Remember, this is going to be a promise that's programmatic. It's going to drive the rest of the Bible. We see it as early as chapter 12, verse 5. Well, notice in the second part of verse 5. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now, Abram's journey is giving us instruction about the life of faith. We, we said this last week, but we have to hold intention that, that Abram is an example to us Sometimes a negative example. We'll see that next week. Even as he is the one that's driving uh, the story of redemption. We have to keep both of those stories in tension. But here he's an example to us. And the first thing we're seeing is that Abram's clear vision or his growing vision of, of God's promises is detaching him from the world. The world has become increasingly less important to Abram. I mean, he, he was willing to give up everything in Ur to come into this land that God would show him. And, and it's the same way with us. The more we attach ourselves to the promises of God, the less attached we will be to the things of this world. Many of you know that. That's why... Lakeview historically has given significantly. And let me just say this. I just heard this this week from our Trinity team. You gave over $1.2 million to missions last year. And that's not even counting those of you who give private giving uh, donations to missionaries. $1.2 million. 
is because you understand this. You're promise-driven, and the more you're promise-driven, the less attached you are to the things of this world. You know, John Bunyan in that tremendous book, Pilgrim's Progress, Spurgeon read that book over 100 times in his lifetime, and you would be hard-pressed to find any sermon in Spurgeon uh, that he did not allude to Pilgrim's Progress. But in Pilgrim's Progress, he contrasts the pilgrim Uh, that is the Christian who's making his way into the celestial city, he contrasts him with the earth dweller. What does that sound like? That's someone whose affections are set in the here and now. And and the scene is set in Vanity Fair. Uh, Now, what is Vanity Fair? It's the symbol of the world and all of its allurements. That's Vanity Fair. And here's what Bunyan wrote. And he wrote this in prison, by the way. For his faith, the pilgrims were clothed with such kind of raiment as was diverse from the raiment of any that traded in that fair. The people, therefore, of the fair made a great gazing upon them. And so the people in Vanity Fair see that the pilgrims are dressed differently, and and it looks strange to them. Some said they were fools. Some said they are outlandish men. Few could understand what they said. (laughs) I love that. They naturally spoke the language of Canaan. Love that. But they that kept the fair were the men of this world. So that from one end of the fair to the other, they seemed like barbarians to each other. But that which did not a little amuse the merchandisers was that these pilgrims set very light by all their wares. In other words, uh, material things weren't important to them. Um, They cared not so much as to look upon them. And if they called upon them to buy, there's some things they had to buy. They would put their fingers in their ears and they would cry, turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. And they would look upward, signifying that their trade and traffic was in heaven. I love that. So here are three traits of the pilgrim from, from John Bunyan. First of all, they, they wear different clothing. That's not talking about physical clothing. We'll get to that. They speak a different language. And then third, they hold different values. So by the first, Bunyan meant that they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. By the second, it meant they taught much about the things of God. Their hope was the gospel, and it was reflected in the things they spoke about. And then third, it meant that the world had no appeal to them. Their eyes were set on God. That was Abram. We're seeing this with Abram. He is our example. F.B. Meyer, the great pastor and the 19th century England, how will people believe us when we talk about our hope if it does not wean us from excessive devotion to the things around us? If we are quite as dependent on the pleasures and fascinations of this passing world as themselves, may they not begin to question whether our profession be true on the one hand or whether after all there be a real city yonder on the other. Good word for us. Doesn't mean it's wrong to own material things. It is wrong when those material things own us. 
So upon arrival, Abram's uh, first concern was to travel the length and the breadth of this land. And, and he is setting up altars and he is calling on the name of the Lord. He is symbolically taking possession of the land. Now, in setting up these places, these altars, these, these places of worship, um, Abram is doing a couple of things. First of all, he's laying claim to the land. And he is signaling that uh, he was taking possession of this land for God. But he was also doing what the godly line always does. And we've seen that since Genesis chapter 4, when they first called upon the name of the Lord. By faith, our first response, we saw this this morning in, in John chapter 9, is to worship. He's worshiping. Um, now, note that when he came into the land, someone else was there before him. And that brings us... Uh, to the test of faith. We don't like the test of faith as we're making our trek in our journey, our spiritual journey, but we come to the test of faith in the second part of verse six. So Abram passed through the land to the places Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Don't overlook that. God has purposed that the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman right now is one man. It's, it's Abram. God has purposed that the seed of the woman would situate himself right dab in the midst of the seed of the serpent. That is, the Canaanites. There is nothing that God calls us to do that will not have opposition attached to it. Even if God's calling you to a so-called secular job, as a Christian, he's first calling you to be a missionary in that job. And so he's going to place his people in businesses and, and, and schools, stay-at-home moms. He's going to place us in a whole different, uh, all kinds of different places. And everything he calls us to do will have opposition attached to it. There is real warfare. Genesis 3.15 continues to happen. The seed of the woman is at war against the seed of the serpent. The seed of the serpent is at war against the seed of the woman. And, and so the presence of the Canaanites, right here in the second part of verse 6, signals that opposition is going to be a reality for the rest of Abram's life. He could have stayed back home and not had that opposition. But he's obeying God. And that obedience is going to be in the midst of, of great opposition. It will be a test of his faith. In fact, that's already indicated when he said that there will be those who seek to curse you. Remember those promises from last week. A godly life must always be lived out in the midst of opposition and temptation and testing. You just need to know that. But as we also know better than Abram, that we have been granted the armor of God, the adequate armor of God for all opposition. But how will Abram manage to persevere? How will he manage to grow stronger during this period? Well, the answer is found in verse 7. The triumph of faith. The triumph of faith. 
So we've seen uh, the trek of faith. We've seen the test of faith. Here we see the triumph of faith in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Now why do I say it's the triumph of faith? The triumph is in God, not us. And you see here God's presence manifested to Abram and his promises reiterated. His presence and his promises. Of course, we know these promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, we know that because all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so this is the seed of the gospel promise that we believe. But this is going to be the promise and God's presence is going to be the means by which Abram will grow stronger and stronger even at times when it appears uh, he has disobeyed and regressed. But this is a, a theophany. What is a theophany? It's just a physical manifestation of God. This is the same language that's used later when uh, Isaac has experiences of theophany, and, and, and then Jacob himself will experience a theophany. I happen to believe that these theophanies are also Christophanies, that the second person of the Godhead is the one who is manifesting himself because throughout Scripture, the Son of God is the sent one. But importantly here... Uh, Abram's lineage is described as his offspring. Uh, Look at that at verse 7 again. To your offspring. And the reason that's important, that's the same exact term as found in in Genesis 3.15. To the the seed of of, of the woman, the, the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent. So we're tracing this offspring uh, theme. We've traced it through Seth and Noah, and now to Abraham. Uh, Later, we're going to be able to trace it to Isaac and Jacob and and Judah and David and to the Son of God. Um, But this theme continues. But here's the question. Where was Abram when the Lord appeared to him here? He's in Canaan. In other words, he's where the Canaanites are. But the Lord of this land is mightier than the enemies in this land. And that's a word for us. We're watching the news right now and we're seeing all manner of chaos. The Lord of this country is mightier than the enemies of God in this country. And and Abraham is learning that here. Um, And what's noteworthy, Abraham has followed uh, his unseen God to an unknown destination. And out of that obedience, God is revealing himself more and more to Abram. When the pilgrims of God follow him and obey the light he has revealed to them, he, he gives more light. Again, going back to this uh, notion, I, I've said this before, but a lot of young people concern themselves with God's hidden will. When if you'll just be a PhD in his revealed will, if you'll just major in his revealed will and obey his revealed will, he will continue to reveal more and more light to you. This is an example of that right here. Uh, In your light do we see light, Psalm 36. 
And notice, and this brings us to the end of this passage, Abram's response uh, to God confirming his promise and God revealing himself by his presence. That brings us to the final point, the thanksgiving of faith. Notice in the second part of verse 7. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, another altar, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So God promised to make Abram's name great, and Abram responds by calling upon the name of the Lord. In other words, Abram is now going to spend the rest of his life making God's name famous in Canaan. That's his calling, to make God's name famous in Canaan. Likewise, who's the original audience of Genesis? Israel, who is making their way into Canaan. They've been in Egyptian bondage. God has set them free. Moses is giving them this script, and, and, and he is writing to people who have the same calling that Abram has, to go into the land as pilgrims and make God's name, not that we make his name great, but we magnify what is already great. We magnify his, his name. That is our calling. That is the pilgrim's perspective. Kevin DeYoung wrote a, a piece in 2009. It so impacted me. I've kept it for 14 years. It's hard to believe it's 14 years. But here's what he said. He's writing to believing pilgrims. All right? So that's you if you're a believer. He says, go out and change the world. Make a difference. Discover a cure for cancer. Write a best-selling novel. Become president. But remember, your glory will not last. Your great accomplishments will fall away either in your lifetime or in a generation or at the end of all things. If you win a state championship, you'll be forgotten the next year. You don't. Your beauty will get wrinkles. Write a great book, and it will gather dust in the library someday. Be an important person in your field. You'll still be unknown to over 6 billion people in the world. Build an amazing house. It will crumble someday. All of our achievements and successes are destined to be like dead grass. But the word of our God stands forever. Our only confidence is in the word of God. Amen. Abram passed through Canaan as a pilgrim and Canaan was never the same because Abram had a pilgrim's perspective. And that's the way it should be for every individual Christian and every church. Because of Lakeview, Auburn will never be the same. That's the way it should be. 
This community will never be the same because of the presence of Lakeview. But it also should be true of every Christian. Because of your presence, your office should never be the same. Because of your presence, your classroom should never be the same. Because of your presence, your ball team should never be the same. Because of your presence, the people who sit around you who have season tickets like you at the stadium should never be the same. Abram went through Canaan and it was never the same. This is an example to us. And in line with this, one more thing before we close. Back in Ur, Abram had a brother named Naor. Uh, we see this in chapter 11, verses 26 to 20, uh, 29. And we're going to see in chapter 24 of Genesis that he is going, over the course of his lifetime, he's going to build this very important city. Naor is. And, and that city is going to be named after him. Imagine having a city named after you. Well, if you'd ask anyone living back in their homeland, if they knew... Naor and Abram, I can envision it going like this. Yeah, I know Naor. I tell you, he was a successful man. Do you know that he built a city and had a city named after him? And I think I remember Abram as well. Uh, he was that guy that, that, that left Ur and he went to uh, Canaan. But in the end, um, he wasn't as, as successful and his brother Naor. I mean, he didn't have a city named after him. Well, that's the way the world views it. Naor would be the successful one. Abram, in the end, would have, at least in that day, could be considered the failure. But in God's economy, Naor is all but forgotten. And the only really thing, the thing we remember about him is that he's Abram's brother. That's the only reason we remember this man. All because Abram, by God's grace, came to understand sick transit gloria mundi. Thus passes the glory of this world. Instead, his life as the offspring of the woman was marked by faith in the truth, sick durit gloria day. Thus endures the glory of God. May that be an example. May that inform all of us. But as we're going to see next week, he's not going to do it perfectly. He's going to have his sins. He's going to have his failures. He's going to mess up monumentally next week as we consider the next passage. And what that communicates is that we need a better offspring than Abram. We need one better than Abram. Abram is not the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. He's just a, a kind of custodian of the fulfillment. He's not the offspring. Uh, we need one who indeed will magnify the greatness of God. And this one will come and he will take possession not just of Canaan, He's going to take possession of the world, every nook and cranny of this world. But he's not going to do it by building altars. 
He's not going to do it by building altars. He's going to do it by being laid upon an altar. You see, the name in Hebrew for altar literally is the place of slaughter. The place of slaughter. He's not going to build altars. He's going to be placed on an altar, and he's going to be slaughtered for our sins. He's going to take the judgment of God, and then God is going to raise him from the grave, having satisfied his wrath on sin. He's going to exalt him to his right hand. He's going to send his spirit to us, and we're going to be united to him by grace through faith and by that great commission entrusted to us, we're going to take his victory to the world so that the whole world will be blessed in the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Abraham. That's God's word to us tonight. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.